Let me add an amen to what Tucker said about our leadership training for Christ. I was trying to do the math in my head, and I think Joyce and I have been involved with LTC for over 30 years, and um, we couldn't be happier about that, probably closing in on 40, actually. But um, it's a, as Tucker said, it's a, it's a great, great blessing to our youth, to our church, to our families. We reap so many benefits from all of the work that's put into that and that wonderful experience, and our kids will remember that always, and that's what we want. We want our kids, as they grow up in a world that is not very sympathetic to biblical values, we want them to connect to the church. We want them to connect to the Word. We want them to connect with each other and with others within our church family, and very few things we do do that as well as leadership training for Christ. So, I appreciate all the work that Tucker did, and that was a lot, and uh, all of those that participated. I do want to say a little word about our encouragement cards. One of the things that we do all the time here that doesn't get a lot of notice is our encouragement cards. It's these little blue cards, as we say, on the back of the pew in front of you. That's where the Apostle Paul had it and when he went to church, and that's where we have it. So be sure and get one of those. I have issued a challenge to our encouragement card workers, and we have a bunch of those that mail these out every week. Um, and, And that is an encouragement card challenge to fill out two cards per week between now and the end of May. Doesn't sound like very much, only two cards, only from now till the end of May. If you want to keep it up, that's great. But let me challenge all of us to do that. You're saying, but Bill, I didn't fill out a card and I missed the the contribution plate. It's okay. You have my permission to fill out the card right now during Bill's sermon. I know that, you know, there's also the grocery list and the to-do list coming up this week that you typically do during my sermon, but hold that off for just a few moments and uh, go ahead and write an encouragement card out uh, to someone. As Wade shared, we have a whole slew of new leaders, servant leaders uh, with our elders and deacons. We have a lot of people that do a lot of stuff on, a, on an everyday, every week basis uh, for our church. So encouragement card challenge, two of those each week. If I were to ask you, how many people did Jesus himself raise from the dead? Would you know the answer? Surprisingly, Scripture does not record Jesus raising many people from the dead at all. He does raise some. And so we're in the midst of a a series that I've just titled Resurrections. We started a couple of weeks ago, took a break last week for the wonderful day that God blessed us with, uh, uh, appointing these new leaders in our eldership and and with our deacons. And next week we're going to finish this series out with the last of those that Jesus uh, raised from the dead, Lazarus. Uh, But today I want us to look at a couple of others. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that great passage from John 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But Jesus, very in a a way that we don't always think about, uh, put himself on that list of the ones that he raised from the dead. It's an amazing thing to think about. We know the Father raised him from the dead, but Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I have the authority and the power to lay that life down and to raise it back up again. Very interesting how he does that. But when we take himself out of the picture, there are only three accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
that tell us about Jesus actually raising someone from the dead. There are lots of stories about Jesus performing miracles, healings, helping people, all of his teaching, of course. But only three times do we read a story about Jesus actually raising someone else uh, from the dead. And so, like I said, one of those is Lazarus. We'll see him next week as we wrap up this short series. But we're going to look at the other two today. First one, it is this one in Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises the son of a widow from the town of Nain. This is a really interesting story. I think it's a very powerful story. It, it, it gives us a picture of the heart of Jesus, how much he cares, how compassionate he is in a way that, that we seldom see. And yet Luke is the only one that records this story. To me, I find that amazing. Luke chapter 7, we'll start in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, verse 13, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Jesus raises the son of a widow from Nain. And Luke is very specific. He tells us that not only was she a widow, she had lost her husband, but this was her only son. And so there was, of course, a large crowd there with her. And we would understand that. This, everyone's heart goes out to this woman at this moment. But what happens after the funeral? It talks about Jesus touching the, the beer, the, the, the stand that they carry the casket on. Other translations say he touched the open coffin itself. And so Jesus acted in a way that was different than what everybody else was acting on, which was good because it was good for them to see, for her to see how much people cared about her. But after this, they would all go home, and here would be this widow with no husband and no son, and she would be in that group of widows with no husband and no child and trying to find some way to get through each day. And it says that Jesus' heart went out to her. And the reason for that is simply this. Jesus cares. He cares. He cared for that woman. Yes, he cared for the son and bringing him back to life, absolutely. But I think the one Jesus really, truly cared for in that moment was that boy's mother. This widow who had lost her husband and now was burying her only son. And Jesus, with great power and authority, tells him, Young man, get up. Next week, we'll see him standing outside of the place of burial where Lazarus had been laid in one of the tombs saying, Lazarus, 
come forth. It's just an incredible display of power, but not just power. It is a display of affection. It's a display of compassion. It's a display of love. And I think about what Tucker shared about as we gathered around the table and the story of that loving father and how he looked at each of those two sons, the young son as he was coming back from uh, the far country, but also the older son as he was sitting on the porch pouting because he was mad. And the father looked at both of them with the same look, that look of compassion, that look of love. And Jesus looks at this woman with the same look. He stops them. He touches the coffin, tells the boy to get up, and he does. And the people react. They're filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. But I think the most significant thing that they say is the next line. God has come to help his people. Which could be considered blasphemy if they're considering Jesus God. But he was, and he is, but he is a God who cares. Similar thing happened, somewhat similar with Elijah raising a widow's son himself in 1 Kings 17. The second event that we'll talk about today involves uh, the daughter of a synagogue leader. Jesus raises the daughter of a synagogue leader. And this story is found in Matthew and Luke and Mark. And we'll read the account in Mark, in Mark chapter 5. And it's, it's interesting because it's, uh, it's one of those stories of Jesus where it kind of happens in parts. And the reason it happens in parts is because they're interrupted. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So we see it's something similar we'll read about next week in uh, John 11 when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus, your friend, our brother is sick. Please come and do something. Well, that's what happens here. This man, this synagogue leader, Jairus, goes to Jesus and says, please come and help me. My daughter is very, very ill. So Jesus goes with him. The rest of verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and it's been all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. The traditional translation, if I can just touch the hem of his garment... I'll be healed. I know, I believe, I know. In spite of all of the years of trying everything and spending everything, she knew that this man could make the difference. And so she did that. She went there. Probably no one saw her. No one knew about her. Everyone probably tried to stay away from her, especially if they knew that she had this disorder because it could cause them to become ceremonially unclean. When Jesus touched that coffin, he became ceremonially unclean. And nobody wanted that. 
And so here comes this woman trying to stay in the shadows, trying to not say a word, trying to not be noticed, but there to touch just a piece of his clothing, and she would be healed. Verse 30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And I love the disciples' reaction. They says, are you kidding? (laughs) Everyone, everyone touched your clothes. What are you talking about? There's this huge crowd of people, and they're all there to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and they're all swarming him. Everyone touched your clothes, and yet Jesus said, who touched me? Someone touched me in a way like no one else did. And I I think to myself as I read this story, didn't he know? Well, of course he knew. When God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Didn't he know? Yes. What have you done? Yes, he knew that. God tends to ask us questions, not so that he will find out information but so that we will so that we'll know a little bit more about ourselves so that we'll know a little bit more about him and his will so that we'll know a little bit more about each other and I think that's what Jesus wanted realizing this woman realized that she was never going to get away with this so verse 33 the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It wasn't, woman, why did you interrupt me? We're on an important place here. We're on an important mission here. But rather it was, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? He's too late. They said, he's too late. There's nothing he can do. And they were wrong. Overhearing what they said, verse 36, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Peter, James, and John. They go with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They go a little farther in the garden with Jesus. And they go here. And James, the brother of John, is the first apostle killed for the faith. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And they what? They laughed. They knew she was dead. Jesus just got there. He must not know. And why would he make such a ridiculous statement? They knew she was dead. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her in Aramaic, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. But of course, the other gospel writers say, but the word about this spread everywhere. (laughs) Of course it would. When Jesus raised the son of a widow from Nain, we realized how much he cared. In this story, raising this daughter of the synagogue leader Jairus and his wife, 
we find this statement once again affirmed, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of the dead and the living. He's Lord of past, present, and future. He is Lord of the healthy and the ill. He is Lord of the good and the bad. He is the Lord of the living and the dead. Jesus is Lord of all. Not just Elijah, but the prophet who took his place, Elisha, in 2 Kings 4, had his heart go out to this woman that had helped him and her husband. Having given them a child because they had been childless up until that point, and now this child years later had died, and Elisha brings him back from the dead. Jesus cares. Jesus is Lord of all. And I can't help but say a hearty amen to the reaction of the people in that little town of Nain. God has come to help his people. That's what both of these stories come to is that statement. God has come to help his people. And I want you to know that today he has still come to help his people. He has come to help you in whatever it is that you're going through. It's a wonderful description of Jesus, and it's very similar to the description that the Apostle Peter has in Acts chapter 10. When he talks to Cornelius the Gentile about Jesus, he says, he went around doing good. That's how Jesus was known. He went around doing good. He went around helping. And we'll see both of those great truths how much Jesus cares, how he is Lord of all, how he wants to help. In the last of these messages next Sunday. For now, let's end today by asking ourselves these two questions. Number one, do people believe that I care? They believe that Jesus cared. Do people believe that I care? He stopped that funeral procession, made himself ceremonially unclean, And brought that boy back to life. Why? Not just because he had the power to do it, but because he cared. He saw that woman like no one else did. Do people see that in me? We know the statement that people will ask. Truer today, I think, than ever. I don't care how much you know until what? I know how much you care. You talk about right or wrong, what the scriptures teach or don't teach, till you're blue in the face. But if someone is hearing that from someone that they don't think cares, it won't matter. It won't matter. But if they look at you and they see someone who cares about them, then your words will have an impact. Do people believe that I care? Secondly, do people believe that I have come to help them. One of the verses that we sang that Michael led us in, let us not grow weary in the work of love, send the light. Don't become weary. Don't become weary in trying to help people. Tonight as we look at this great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, I, I think he says everything for 57 verses so he can make one statement in verse 58. And that's this one that we just sang, don't get tired doing good. Don't grow weary. It's worth it. It's worth it because the tomb is empty. It's worth it because our Savior did the same for us. He cared about us and he came to help us. Do people know that you care? Do people feel 
that you're there in their lives to help. The power of the blood of Jesus can make both of those truer than it's ever been. If we can help you get to that place, come as we stand. Sing this great old hymn together.